May and then in June on Equip Tuesday with three uh, seminars, or I'm calling this a tutorial on parenting. Uh, this investment, we believe, is well worth the time because uh, the next generation uh, has been entrusted to us. And uh, though we cannot have all the answers and will not do this perfectly, God does give grace and God is giving grace to us. So uh, with that kind of setting the tone, uh, what I, what I want to do tonight is share several foundational ideas about parenting in Scripture, and then we'll, we'll hone in a bit at the end on the matter of discipline and uh, see if we can glean from Scripture some uh, principles that can help us as we try to uh, instruct and uh, train and discipline our children in the things of the Lord. But I, I want us to start uh, with five foundational ideas. And the first of those, and these are in your notes, the first of those is what I'm calling gospel-centeredness. Uh, Christian parents, that means you, that means me, uh, we need the gospel, and we need it in two ways. We, we need the gospel to, to be the primary content of our parenting, the primary aim we have as parents, the primary calling God has placed upon us is, is not to raise up our kids so they'll be well-educated and good, good jobs. The primary calling is to give them the gospel, to entrust to the next generation the, the dazzling glory of God and the grace of God in the gospel. That's, that's our primary calling. The gospel is to be the content of our parenting. But I would suggest to you that we need the gospel also to be the covering for our parenting. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I think there are few things, brothers and sisters, that produce more guilt, more regret, even more shame and sorrow in our hearts than how we treat our families and more particularly, how we may treat our children. I'm guessing right now, what are we, I, I, I didn't stop to calculate, what week are we into this corona thing now? Is it a, we're coming up on what, five weeks? Something like that? Uh, at what point in those five weeks did the, did the guilt-o-meter begin to get higher for you as a dad or as a mom? Uh, at what point did you begin to sense, oh man, I'm getting angry at these kids. I'm losing patience with these kids. I'm, I, I, want, I want out. out you know. At what point did you begin to feel your inadequacy? Maybe some of you haven't felt that yet. Uh, it'll come. Uh, the reality is that we are inadequate, and part of that inadequacy is our own sin, and our own short temper, and our own impatience. And it's for that reason, friends, that we need the gospel. We need to be gospel-centered, not just in what we give to our children, but we need to be gospel-centered in terms of how we respond to our own guilt, as we respond to our own regret. 
as parents. If you, if you in recent days or weeks are beginning to see in yourself attitudes and reactions and actions uh, toward your children that you know are sinful and that are filling you with sorrow and regret, you need to remember Jesus died for all of that. Uh, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. He, his, his blood has washed us clean from all our sin. You see, folks, if, if, if we're not gospel-centered, gospel-saturated, gospel-bathed, gospel-permeated uh, day after day after day, um, our failures as parents can take us down and can um, lead us to a place where we, we're almost paralyzed uh, by our own guilt and by our own shame. So never forget this. Even as we go through some of this teaching tonight, don't forget this. Listen to everything I say we share. Listen to all of it through the lens of the gospel, or listen through the uh, earphones of the gospel. Uh, view it through the eyes of the gospel. That, that Christ died for all the failure, that you have been justified in Christ, and you are accepted and approved. As someone has said, you know, we're not functioning for approval, we're functioning from approval. We already have our approval before the Lord, and now as moms and dads, uh, we want to function in the confidence, the boldness of the gospel, uh, and in the peace of of Christ. So there needs to be a gospel-centeredness as we approach parenting. Secondly, uh, we need a, a biblical commitment armed with the gospel uh, and the confidence of Christ. Uh, we do need to know, and I think a lot of Christian parents today do not know this, um, we need to know that the Bible has a lot to say about parenting. Uh, and Christian parents must, in the words of uh, Psalm 1, uh, Christian parents must not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, uh, but must delight in the law of God and in his law meditate day and night. In other words, when it comes to parenting, um, our primary uh, source of how to parent what to do should be the Bible and not the world. Now, that's not to say the world has nothing to offer because it does. God in his infinite grace uh, pours out insight into everybody to one degree or another. The world does have stuff to offer, but our primary source should be God's word. And it is the Bible that we need to turn to. And what I'm, what I'm, getting at is not, I'm not saying that uh, there is a very specific formulaic way to do parenting. I'm, I'm not saying that, okay, pay attention tonight, folks. You listen to this, you understand this, you get this, and you're on your way because this is God's way to do it. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, what the Bible is clear to say, is that there are tools. There are commandments and precepts and principles that God gives to us as parents that can go a long way towards shaping how we do parent. 
and how we do raise our children. And I just want to run through seven of these really, really quickly. I'm not going to linger on these, uh, but I just want you to see these are the basics of biblical parenting. And again, I think they're in your notes. Number one is affection. Being tenderly affectionate and kind and loving and cheerfully joyful with and over our children. Seeing our children as a blessing rather than a burden. Uh, An affectionate delight in our children is a biblical component of parenting. Number two is example. Living a life of faith and character before our children that models for them what it looks like to be a man or a woman of faith and godliness. Number three is teaching. We are to be instructing our children in the word of God, in the gospel, in the law and will of our heavenly father. Number four is encouragement, affirming often and consistently the grace of God in our children's lives when we see it like God does with us uh, and like Paul often did with his spiritual children, encouragement. Number five is rebuke, helping our children to know that misbehavior or disrespect or dishonesty or other sins are not acceptable to God and they're not acceptable to us and they should not be acceptable to them either. Rebuke. And then number six is correction, pointing our kids in a new direction and helping them to see a better way. And then number seven is discipline, applying painful consequences when simple words are not enough sometimes including carefully administered spanking, all in the context of overwhelming love and affection. There's a sense in which, folks, if we, if we, um, if we grab hold of those seven aspects of parenting and commit ourselves to them and seek to apply them day in, day out, uh, there, will, there, will be, uh, there will be blessing to that. There will be blessing. Um, But those are generalities, aren't they? Um, You can know those things, and many of you do already know those things, uh, but you still run up against how many situations a week where you don't know what to do (laughs) as a parent, and and you're confused and you're you're lost. And so it kind of leads to the next point that is essential for parents, and that's what I'm calling a humble uh, teachability. Uh, we, need, we need to be teachable as, as parents. Christian parents need to assume that when it comes to parenting, uh, they are more ignorant than they are informed. Uh, that we need help, that we need biblically minded, godly, wise, spiritually mature men and women who have gone before us, who who have more experience than us, uh, we need all the help we can get. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, just a a few minutes before we started. I think at every stage of our parenting life, Gaylene and I have actively sought out counsel. We have, Whatever we were facing in the the infant and toddler stage, the teenage stage, the 20-something stage, uh, whether it was uh, uh, kids' health issues or whether it was 
child with mental uh, illness issues, whether it was rebellion issues, uh, we, we always knew we needed help uh, and uh, always found that it was our responsibility to seek out counsel. Uh, and so don't try to go it alone. If you're up against it, um, seek out help. Even in our church, there are any number of folks who are further along in the journey than you may be. Um, seek counsel, seek wisdom, seek direction. There's wisdom in counsel. Be, be teachable as you proceed. And then uh, what I'm calling prayerful uh, dependency. Um, Christian parenting, this is hugely important, friends. Um, Christian parenting is not formulaic. It's, it's not automatic. Um, it's, it's, it's a humble effort to try to teach and train and um, warn and love and admonish and um, raise up our kids in the way that they should go, uh, all in total, desperate, prayerful dependence upon God. Uh, the realization that no matter how hard I try, I cannot save my children. No matter how well I parent, I cannot change their hearts. No matter how wise I may be, I don't have all the answers and I cannot make my children listen to my answers. I am totally dependent. We are totally dependent on God for the salvation, for the safety, for the protection, for the maturing, for the blessing of our children. And so we need to pray. And again, I think you will find that the older your children get, the more you pray. Um, the more you cry out to God, I have, uh, many of you will be uh, familiar with uh, Job chapter one, where uh, Job, as God is describing Job's righteousness, uh, Job is described as a man who every day would offer sacrifices because just in case his grown children had sinned that day. And I've, I've often looked at that and said, well, I think that's a I think that says something to me, to us, that um, we need to keep praying, no matter how old they are. We need to keep praying. We need to keep pleading with God, uh, because there are things that only God can do, and and that that is not um, when I when I say desperation, I don't mean depression. Um, I don't mean panic. Uh, but just a, just a deep, profound sense that God has to do what only God can do in our kids' lives. And in fact, and this is the last of these uh, few introductory points, uh, there is enduring hope. Um, there's no need to panic with our children. Um, I don't know if I can ask for a show of hands. How many of you have ever panicked as a mom or dad? Okay, I'm seeing hands go up. All right. Um, yeah, but there's no need to. 
Um, God's got it. God's got it. I'm, I'm talking as a man who's been through it. Um, uh, I, I've, I've been in some hard situations. God has it. God has it. Um, God has a story for each one of our children's lives. God is up to something in each one of our children's lives. And the story for them is not going to be the same as your story. God, God has got a different story for each person. But we have in Scripture promises and assurances not that all of our children will come to faith or all of our children will turn out great, but promises and assurances that God is going to bless our children. And he's going to bless the, the next generation of those who are faithful to him. So you have Deuteronomy 7 in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I love that phrase. God has promised to keep his covenant, not just to us, but to our children for a thousand generations. If I understand that correctly, I think what that means is that if Jesus doesn't come back, before then, a thousand generations from now, there's still going to be a spiritual family tree that traces to me and that traces to each one of you. God has pledged. He has pledged his faithfulness, not just to us, but to our children and to coming generations. So in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter is talking to the brand new believers, or they're not quite believers yet. It's part of his invitation to the people in Jerusalem at that time. He says, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul says to us that um, uh, our children are are made, the word he uses, they're made holy just by virtue of the fact that they are the children of believers. That doesn't mean they're saved. Uh, it just means that there is a special, sacred touch of God upon their life because they're in our homes. God is up to something. God is working. And so there's enduring hope. I want to encourage you. Uh, God is not stingy in his grace uh, toward our children. It's not like God is hesitant and reticent and say, well, nah, I really don't want to bless them or their children. No, God is eager to bless. God is eager to pour out his grace. Uh, and he is going to do that in his time and in his way. He's going to write the story for each one of our children. So I want to commend to you these basics as we um, as we uh, proceed here, and and just encourage you to to walk in these things, to live in the good of these things, um, and then to uh, and then by God's grace to to make application to your life. Before I, before I go on, Alex. Um, have any questions uh, come in yet that would fit for us to just pause and interact with? 
Yes, uh, one question has come in. The question is, can you give a specific example of a mistake that might cripple a parent the way you're talking about? Like early on when you were giving your introduction about, yeah. you know, gospel as our covering, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I think it can, it can be, um, my, it, there's almost an endless variety of such sins that, or mistakes that can just cripple us with guilt or with shame. Uh, it, it could be just yelling at our children. Uh, sometimes in our anger, we, we, we just lash out and we could start calling them names and we start belittling them and, and uh, just treating them uh, cruelly with our words. Or, or we may have moments where we, we just think, hey, I don't want to be a parent. I don't want to do this. And uh, uh, maybe moments where, uh, and I've heard moms and dads say these kinds of things, where they'll say, I, I just don't even like my child. Um, you know, these kinds of things that can pierce the conscience when the Holy Spirit gets you into a quiet place and, and you just are, you just, oh, I can't believe I said that or thought that or treated my little one that way or had that response. Um, and, and guilt and shame and regret can, can, uh, creep in there and just take hold of the heart and, and paralyze a parent and just make her, make him or her feel like uh, quitting. Um, there can be much deeper, much longer things. Maybe it's uh, uh, just general neglect, too busy with work, too busy with other things that, that are just uh, robbing the child of perhaps needed time. And, and there's guilt there. And, and it, it, there could be just uh, you know, people get married to their work. They get married to their career in a way that it really leaves the kids behind and unattended and uncared for. There, there can be a lot of guilt. Basically, what I'm saying is that, you know, any, our, our consciences, especially as parents, I think, can be, uh, can be very sensitive to when we blow it. And when we blow it, the guilt and the sorrow can be such that we just feel like quitting. So I, I, I don't know if that connects directly to the question. Hopefully that gets close answer wise. Yeah. Galen's going to chime in with something here. Um, speaking from ex my experience, I think the guilt can be crippling when I think I have messed them up so bad for the rest of their lives that there's no way that they'll ever turn out halfway normal. Um, I mean, it can just cripple and, and rob me of my faith and my joy, but there is nothing that we can do um, outside of God's care. God will get his children where he wants them to be um, yes, if we sin, we confess our sin to the Lord. And if we need to confess to our children, we will. But any one action is not going to mess them up for the rest of their lives. Um, or we might think our kids will never forgive us. There are so many things I can remember doing that my kids have no recollection of doing. It was just a 
tiny little blip on their scale, on their radar. Um, but to me, it was very guilt producing. And um, so I don't know if that helps anybody or not. Yeah. But. My guess is that uh, everyone can relate at some point to that. Were there any other questions, Alex, or is that it for now? Yeah, we got one more. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the world's advice on parenting, what would you say would be some foundational errors in the world's uh, you know, way of parenting that we should be aware of? Uh, my, um, one is the uh, obvious, obviously there's, um, there's a whole uh, category of what the world will teach that we as Christians would reject. Uh, you know, the world would teach that we must, uh, you know, we must give our children, um, you know, opportunity to believe whatever they want to believe. We shouldn't instruct them. We shouldn't teach them the gospel. They, they will, the world will say, well, you know, the whole gender thing and all that goes on with that, that uh, the world has a very uh, decided and aggressive agenda that is counter to scripture. Uh, but it shows up in more subtle ways as well. Um, one that comes to mind is, is you know, just a resistance to the Bible's teaching on discipline of our children. and. Uh, uh, an actual calling of discipline and e the world would call discipline in uh, some of its forms evil when the Bible calls it good. Uh, and, uh, and then there's just, to me, it's the world's values. Um, the world uh, says to, I, I, I remember just one example uh, when our kids were young, when the, you know, we had six kids and they were all pretty young relatively the same time and and uh, you know we would have people say how can you how can you afford all those kids and and uh, you know that kind of comment and the assumption was that kids need to have everything kids need to have the finest of clothes and the finest of activities they need to be involved in everything you got to you got to make sure that you provide them every single opportunity possible uh, for for everything, and uh, those are just not God's values. Um, God has a different set of values that He wants us to function with, um, and uh, so there's the values of the world, the methodology of the world, in um, you know, just the the resistance to authority. We'll talk about this, God willing, in a few minutes. But you know, as as parents, we have. We have real authority. Um, uh, our children are to obey us, and the having of authority um, comes with it certain responsibilities and certain things that we need to teach our children that uh, the world would not be as favorable to. So um, there's probably an endless array of things that the world teaches, just in terms of its values. Uh, what is you know how it dresses, how it, you know, how it uh, spends, how it thinks about morality, how it thinks about lots of things. Um, so I don't know if that helps enough or if there would be a follow-up to that at all. 
Is that it, Alex? Yep. Well, if, um, if you would like to open it up for a quick, any quick follow-up question to that one, that's fine. If we don't have time for that, there is one more question, or if we just need to move on, it's up you to you. You have one more? We do have one more. Okay, let's go with that. Okay. Uh, when you're seeing things change so much in our culture, uh, where is a good place to start engaging children? This question makes sense? There's so many different things changing in every area. Where is a good place to start engaging with children? Um, I'm assuming that the question is asking, okay, there's all these different things that need to be talked about with our kids. Where do we start? What's the first thing on the agenda? Uh, that, that's the, that's how I read the question. Okay. Um, I'd, that's a good question. Um, I think I would, I think I would answer it this way. We need to start with what is our basis of authority and what we know to be true. Um, our children need to know that we believe with all of our hearts that the Bible is the word of God, that the, that the Bible is the final authority for every question, that any idea is going to be tested by scripture. And if it doesn't meet up with, if it doesn't meet the Bible test, then we are not going to believe it. We are not going to follow it. We're not going to pursue it. It's for all of us. And, and this is, this is bigger than a parenting question, friends. This is, this is a question every one of us has to ask and answer. What is the ultimate authority in your life? Uh, um, is it the word of God? Is it the written holy scriptures that is the final authority? Every question, the, the, before we can answer the question, we have to say, what does the Bible say about this? And, and our children need to know that's how we live. That's how we do life as a family. We, we seek to know the word of God and apply the word of God to all the various questions and situations of our life. I don't think you can, you can, you know, I, there's two things. We need to start with God is, God is there, God is real, there is a God, and he has spoken to us in his word. Those, those are foundational. Those things need to be, our children need to hear that from us from day one. They need to see that we live that way, that we are Bible Christians, uh, that we really believe God is, and that he has spoken to us in his word as uh, the final authority for our lives. And if that if we can establish that, first of all, as our own way of life, but then as the foundation for our family life, then our children will know whether or not they end up believing it, whether or not they end up choosing it for themselves is a whole nother question. But they will at least know from our example, from our teaching, from our instruction, that we believe ultimately God is, and he has spoken to us in his word. And what God says is truth. And what God says is law, no matter what the topic or the issue may be.
And then you build on that. Then you begin to say, okay, what does the Bible say about this or that or some other issue? And uh, build a life, a, a Bible-based life uh, for your family and for your kids. I hope that helps. It just might be clear. I don't know if this is obvious or not, but uh, only approach the subjects that your kids are dealing with at a, any given time. You don't just grasp something that's happening in culture and insert it into a conversation. It's what are your children dealing with right there or what's your family experiencing or your surroundings. Um, yeah, there, there may be occasional times where you have to, for what, for some reason you have to go after other issues, but I do think the Deuteronomy 6 model is helpful to us, uh, is, uh, which Rick read earlier, you know, when you're, when you're sitting down to eat, when you're walking by the path. In other words, as life is unfolding, you talk about God and his law and what God has to say about the everyday stuff of life. And in doing that, as, as our children see us, they overhear us talking about what well, the the Bible says this, God says this, uh, or they hear us evaluating things based on what's in Scripture. Our children begin to breathe that air, that Bible-saturated air, and uh, it, will, uh, it will begin to affect them. It will begin to shape their own conscience. Tim, there were a couple questions about how parenting changes over time as kids grow older. I don't know if you want to just keep moving on, and then I think you'll address some of those things. Uh, you know, yeah, you'll be talking about discipline, and then you know, I'm yeah. sure there'll be follow-up questions on that. Let's come back to that. Um, I'm hearing some back uh, noise. Is somebody on there? Okay, that's better. Uh, everyone can hear me? Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's, let's move on to um, very specifically uh, discipline and some essentials for discipline uh, and see if we can work through this uh, relatively quickly. Um, and, uh, and then have time for some more some more questions. So, you know, moving specifically to the question of discipline, the scriptures um, do call us to discipline our children, and that's not just spanking. Discipline is any kind of painful consequence. Uh, could be the taking away of a privilege. There's any number of things that are forms of discipline to, to reinforce our teaching uh, in our children's lives to strengthen their conscience about certain things. But discipline is um, easily misused and abused. Uh, and we just can't talk about it without setting it in its right context. Uh, or it, uh, it will give, it could give some who are sinfully inclined a sense of license to do uh, what God would forbid them to do. So I, I want to just uh, touch base on, on four or five things here real quick. And um, 
and, and hurry through these. So again, if you got your notes in front of you, and I know this is re repetition, but I, I'm, I'm repeating on purpose. Um, the essentials for biblical parental discipline, the first one is, again, affection. Affection. Um, affection and love must so saturate our children's lives that when they sense our displeasure, whether it's in tone of voice or disciplinary pain, they will notice it and grieve the change and desire quick and full restoration. Our kids, you know, this is a, this is a, a handy rule of thumb that may or may not be uh, literally accurate, but you know what I, you'll know what I'm saying. For every one moment of discipline and correction, there should be 10 moments of affection, of love, and of care. Our kids should, should feel like they, they swim in our affection, that they, they, they live in our affection day after day after day, so that when discipline happens, um, it is not the norm, it is the exception. Now, there may be times, and there was with this guy when I was in the second, third, fourth grade, um, there were times, and my mom, when she was alive, she told me once, Tim, we had no idea what we were going to do with you. Uh, I was, I was, I was a trouble kid, and there were, there were stretches where I would, I would, I would receive discipline virtually every day. Uh, because I misbehaved badly every day. Um, and I thank God that my parents persisted and didn't quit. Because uh, the story of my life would have been different. I have no doubt about that in my mind. But see, here's the deal. The reality was that even though their discipline had to increase and be consistent, it was administered in the context of every day, all day long, affection and love. I knew that my parents loved me and would have done anything for me because they cared so deeply. Um, our kids need to feel that. They need to feel it, bask in it, delight in it, glory in it, or else our discipline. Uh, comes off as something very different than loving correction. It comes off as hostility and anger and malice. Um, affection is essential. Don't have time to do this, I don't think, but one of my favorite go-to texts for parenting, ironically, was actually written by a single man. Um, it's found in 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 7 through 12. And I want to encourage you to, to um, on your own, just, the, Paul is describing his ministry to the Thessalonians, and he describes it by comparing himself to a mother's tender affection toward her children and to a father's uh, faithful uh, encouragement and exhortation and um, challenging of a child. It's, it's an amazing text. I, I counted just earlier today, I counted, I think, 15 different parenting principles 
that were just buried in that First Thessalonians 2 text. As Paul describes his ministry, he describes it in terms of what godly parenting looks like. And it's just an amazing, it's an amazing text. And I wish I had time. But one of the big things there is affection. Paul, Paul says, I was like a nursing mom who was affectionately desirous for you. I just love you Thessalonians. And just like a mom loves her children. And, and I was like a dad. I exhorted you. I, I encouraged you. I admonished you. Um, I, I sought to lead you uh, in, into godliness, into the will of God. Uh, and he said, I did it just like a godly dad does. I, I just want to encourage you. That text is, is really rich with parenting instruction and principles. Um, just take your time, maybe as husband and wife, uh, sometime read the text and just reflect on it and uh, say, what, is this, what does this teach about how I should relate to my kids? Um, so affection. And then respect. Um, somebody I know wrote a book recently about respecting the image. Um, I, I, uh, the reality is that um, we need to respect our children. We need to respect them as image bearers of God. Um, and this needs to rule us and govern us all the time but perhaps especially so when there are moments of frustration, when there are moments where discipline is necessary, where you're tempted to anger, um, to, to remind yourself that that little boy, that little girl is made in the image of God. They have value. They have worth. Um, now I've included in your notes the Ten Commandments of Discipline, uh, thou shalt not call your children names. Thou shalt not curse your children. Thou shalt not rant and rave. Thou shalt not hold a grudge. Thou shalt not scorn or ridicule a child. Thou shalt not tell your child that he or she was an accident or is unwanted or in the way. Thou shalt not discipline in anger. Thou shalt not strike with the fist or the back of the hand. Thou shalt not conclude discipline without reconciliation and thou shalt ask forgiveness when you fail. This, this, we need to respect the image of God in our children, and that will affect. That'll affect us every time we talk to them. There needs to be affection. There needs to be respect. We need to recognize we have authority, and that is an authority that God gives to us. And and because we have authority, um, we have the responsibility to establish a home uh, that is uh, honoring to the Lord, that lives by God's law and God's word. And uh, we have to establish a pattern of obedience in our children, that they would uh, follow God's law, even if their hearts are not in it, uh, that they would realize that our hearts are in it and in our home. Uh, we live by God's law and we live by God's principles. And that means that there are times when if there's rebellion and just absolute resistance to it, there may need to be consequences. There, uh, The authority is real. And a lot of parents don't want that authority. 
a lot of parents want to shirk it and run from it. Uh, but brothers and sisters, you've been entrusted with this calling. Um, you are you have authority in your children's lives, and um, while you are to listen to them and respect them, at the same time you are the boss, and uh, not selfishly, not not for your own gain, uh, but God has established you uh, to have authority in your home. Part of that involves discipline. Um, and there's so much that could be said. The Bible actually talks about discipline, both, both verbal discipline in terms of reproof and rebuke and correction, and uh, in a few passages talks about physical discipline as well. Um, the, the use of spanking and, and uh, very careful, very monitored, very uh, never angry, never harsh, never retaliatory. There's all kinds of nevers that ought to go with that. Um, uh, but there are times when um, there's the need for discipline, there's the need for painful consequences. And the passage uh, perhaps uh, that teaches this more uh, deeply than any others is, is Hebrews 12. Um, again, if uh, that's in your notes or in your Bible, just, let me just read it, verses 7 through 11 of Hebrews 12, where we read, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, our Father in heaven, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Proverbs talk in terms of parenting, that if you spare the rod, if you do not discipline your children, uh, then in reality, it's almost like you're hating your child and you're consigning your child to, to a life of foolishness. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The proverb says, but the, the rod of correction drives it far from them. If we love our children, then we will need to discipline them. There will need to be some kind of painful consequences for bad behavior. And, and that's hard to know. Hard to know how to do that and when to do that. And again, I would, I would want to, oh, man. There, there, is, there is so much abuse of kids. There is so much misuse of God's laws on discipline 
that has gone on in the name of the Bible, in the name of Christ, um, that we have to, we can only talk about these things with utmost care. Um, uh, all the other things we've talked about, affection and care and love and respect must rule us uh, whenever the time for discipline comes. But um, being ruled by those good things, there are times when discipline is needed. I don't have, I, I would not recommend a long list of rules in your house. I, I would not recommend that you have a poster on your kitchen wall with the 25 laws of the house listed. Um, that creates a kind of, uh, that doesn't create a home and a house and a family, that, that creates a kind of dominion and uh, a focus on authority and rules that is not healthy uh, uh, and, and will not serve well. I, I, I don't want to make any kind of rules here. Uh, I can only offer you here what, uh, what Galen and I felt were areas that we needed to make sure there were consequences for bad behavior. Uh, there were, I called them, always have called them the, the four, four D's of discipline. Uh, and that's just the way my brain works. So forgive me on that. Uh, but the, the four D's are what? The first, disobedience. And what, what we meant by that is um, when children knowingly disregard clear, clearly understood direction from dad or mom, when they knowingly and willfully and deliberately disobey clear instructions, uh, that we always felt needed to be disciplined. The second was delayed obedience. Those times when um, you know the child does not respond promptly, does not obey quickly, but drags it out and comes up with 15 excuses for why they're not going to do what they've been told to do. Someone I remember as a teenager at a camp uh, seeing a, a little poster that said delayed obedience is disobedience. And it's true for us, isn't it, as adults, folks? If we know what God wants us to do and, and we just we stiff arm him and we put him off and we ignore him and uh, well delayed obedience is disobedience. And um, I will say this in, in all the hours of counseling that I've done, um, certainly one of the top three causes of parental anger and uh, impatience is the fact that their parent, their children don't obey immediately. They have to tell their kids 10 times to do something. I would encourage you to. Um, to work on that with your kids, to uh, both with positive affection and all the rest, but always with respect, but make sure that your kids are learning that when mom and dad talk, um, they need to listen and they need to respond. They need to obey and obey now, not obey 20 minutes from now. 
Uh, I will say this, and we, we tried to be careful about this. If our kids were in the middle of something, if they were in the middle of a game or whatever, we tried to make sure that we didn't ask them to do things right in the middle of what they were doing and uh, would do things like, hey, kids, uh, you're going to need to be done in 15 minutes so that we can do whatever. That gives them warning and doesn't provoke them to wrath, which is uh, one of the things Paul tells us not to do. So disobedience, delayed obedience. The third D that we felt needed stronger correction and discipline was dishonesty. Um, just a willful, deliberate lie. Um, and I would distinguish um, between a willful, deliberate, premeditated lie and the kind of impulsive, self-defensive kind of lie that our kids might tell. Um, there's a difference between a child who's uh, spent some time conniving and thinking about how he's going to lie to get something that he wants. Uh, and that's different than the child who accidentally drops the pitcher of milk and says, I didn't do it. You know, uh, that I didn't do it is kind of an impulsive self-defensive mechanism that I'm not sure I would discipline. I might correct, but not discipline. But um, the kid who the child who plans how he is going to steal something or how he is going to um, be mean to his little brother or sister and then denies it or plans a lie to cover it up. But that's serious. One of the reasons why that seems serious enough to us to, to discipline this is you can't have, you can't have family life and you can't do life in society if you don't have integrity. Um, lying destroys relationships. It's, it's, a, it's, it's destructive. And uh, so it just felt to us like because of how it destroys relationships, we need to make sure that uh, we're, we're a little stronger and tougher on dishonesty. And then the last one is disrespect. Um, either when the child talked back to a parent or when a child talked disrespectfully to another child, or when a child talked disrespectfully to other adults, or when a child treated disrespectfully uh, the possessions and belongings of other people and carelessly and disrespectfully uh, broke them or, or just treated them carelessly. Uh, in our understanding of things, respect for others as human beings and for what belonged to them uh, it was is pretty important stuff. So uh, those are the things that we um, we felt needed attention with discipline: disobedience, delayed obedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. Now, when it came time, and I'm almost done, and we can get to questions. When it came time for the discipline itself, or, or let me put it differently. Um, yeah, let me, just, let me just put that differently. I, I think there's, there's three or four other things that just need to go into this so that our kids are treated fairly, uh, lovingly, respectfully at all times. Um, 
we need to clearly define our expectations of our kids. We, let's not be vague. Let's not be uh, fuzzy in what we're asking them to do. Let's make sure it's clear to them. And let's give clear explanations if they want to know why, especially if, if they're older. Um, I'm not as inclined to give answers to why questions to a four-year-old as I am to a 14-year-old. A 14-year-old is a young man or a young woman who has the right to ask some why questions. And, uh, uh, but let's give clear explanations to our decisions, to our rules in our home. Uh, let's apply discipline consistently. One thing that really frustrates children is when we discipline or correct something one day and don't do it the next day or don't do it the day after that, then come back and do it again four days later. Our children are wondering what really is the rule around here? What really is uh, the expectation? And one last thing, um, whenever corrective discipline is needed in any form, whenever there's just the reproof needed, a rebuke, needed. Um, make sure that it's followed by reconciliation, affection, and love. Um, don't walk away from a disciplined moment um, without resolution of your relationship. Um, take as long as it takes to ensure that your child knows you love her, love him. Um, don't let yourself walk away mad or the child walk away mad. Uh, it is important that there be reconciliation in that relationship. All right, we've, uh, we've touched on a zillion things and probably raised more questions than we've answered. Uh, but um, let's, uh, let's go with it, Alex. What do we got for questions? Okay, uh, let me put this in here so people can follow along. Um, can you clarify the difference between correction and discipline? You said a child who lies out of self-defense, you would correct but not discipline. How would you define the difference? Well, cor I find uh, correction can be simply a, ver a verbal, um, just a, a conversation where you're you're adjusting what that child did. You're correcting. Uh, the response they had, hey, in the future, uh, you know, you don't have to, when you spill the milk, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to, you know, you know lie to defend yourself. It, you know, you just, you're, just, you're just adjusting. You're redirecting the child's thoughts or actions or responses. Discipline uh, would carry with it more of a sense of rebuke or consequences. Uh, to actively train that child to respond to the correction if, if it's a serious enough issue. I hope that helps. Yeah, and then a, a follow-up question would be, uh, does discipline mean a spanking? Uh, and I guess the way I read that is, does discipline necessarily mean a spanking? Yeah. No, not necessarily. And um, in the long haul of things, the spanking would be the rare thing, the rare form of discipline. Uh, 
um, this discipline can there can be any number of of when I say painful consequences, I'm not saying necessarily physical. It can be emotional. It can be the the removal of a privilege. It can be uh, the um, you know it can just be a very very serious um, conversation where you take the child into a different room and you, you sit down and you look eye to eye into that child's life and you bring a a strong sense of of rebuke and correction and call to call to repentance even um, uh, it could again it can be the removal of a privilege um, it can be any number of things the thing you know the Hebrews 12 passage what it makes clear is that discipline in order for it to do its work it needs to be painful but again that doesn't mean always physical uh, it can be emotionally painful it can be something the child was really looking forward to that uh, uh, well because of what you did you're not going to be able to do that now yeah, that's discipline um, it can take many different forms good um, related to that is what age do you think is too old for spanking Um, I have to, I have to get Galen's input on this. I'm, I'm thinking that we did not in our, just cause this is the way we did it. doesn't mean it's the right way to do it, but just, uh, um, most of our spanking was done. I think by the time our kids were maybe eight, eight years old. Um, one of the things that we found is that if you, let me put it this way. I, I think a lot of parents get discipline and authority backwards and create a problem as a result. And what I mean by that is, um, I'm hearing a background there. Um, um, if if you watch a lot of parents, they they when their children are very very young, they um, they basically spoil the child. They they don't ever discipline. They don't ever bring any real correction. The child really runs and rules the house, and uh, and that happens. You know, while the you know sometimes that's a little cute. Uh, other times it's just a little frustrating. But it it's what happens, and then. And then the child grows up to be seventh grade or eighth grade, and the parent begins to realize, wow, I've, I've raised a spoiled child, only now the effects of that are far more serious than they were when they were three. And I now have a rebel on my hands. And many parents will try to crack down on discipline when their kids are in junior high or in high school. And that's a disaster. That that is absolutely, in my in my opinion, that's backwards. We we should start with um, a, a more strict approach to parenting. We should establish in our young children's minds that there are boundaries to behavior, that they must respect one another, they must tell the truth, they must obey, they must. Uh, obey promptly. Uh, 
children need to learn very young that they are under God's authority and they're under parents' authority so that when they get to be junior high or senior high, um, what actually can happen then is a, a little bit of a loosening of the authority and a gradual giving of more and more freedom to the teenager, which the teenager will delight in because he or she is being released from authority in a certain way, uh, still under your roof, still under your authority, but the nature and the exercise of that authority is different. See, if you, if you, if you let your child do everything they want to do when they're three, then they're still going to want to do everything they want to do when they're 13. And you will have created a potential monster. If, on the other hand, you start strict and gradually loosen as your children are growing older, they actually have a fresh, a new sense of freedom, of responsibility, and the, it, it helps to reduce the rebellion factor in teenagers. Again, notice how I'm choosing my words. It helps to reduce. It doesn't take away all rebellion. It, it's, not a, it's not a formula. It's not automatic. You have to pray your way through the whole process. Uh, but I do think there's a wisdom thing in starting stricter and then loosening the grip of parental authority the older our children get. And so for us, um, because we started strict with our children uh, and that involved more discipline when they were young, uh, by the time they were eight, ish years old, uh, I'm, we rarely, if ever, had to spank them or uh, do physical discipline again. Uh, at that point, it was we transitioned to uh, other forms of um, correction or discipline as needed. I think a moment ago, Gaylene seemed like she wanted to say something. Gaylene, was there something you wanted to add? Did you hear Gailin, that, Gaylene? Was there something you wanted to add a minute ago? It seemed like you wanted to say something. Was there? Okay. Yeah, I was just going to add that in my mind, uh, when the children are young, a simple spanking is more effective than timeouts or depriving of privileges because, well, in our, in our situation, we would take our child into another part of the house. We wouldn't spank them out of anger in the, in, in the moment, in the presence of other people. We would take them to the other part of the house, close the door, explain, and say, now mommy has to spank you now. And a few spanks at the, to a point where they would actually cry and recognize, okay, they've done something wrong. And hopefully say they were sorry. Um, and then there's a receiving, a reconciling, a loving, and a release. Okay, we're good. We're done. It's over. Get on with life. Where a prolonged timeout or privileges 
removed for a month at a time can breed, foster resentment. I don't know, Han, do you have any? It can foster resentment in the child, but it can also foster resentment in the, in the parent as well. Could it just, you know, it, it just goes on and on when it's a prolonged uh, removal of privileges or whatever. Um, again, we're not in any way implying that we have the answer as to uh, the ideal answer as to how to do all of this. But those are some of the thoughts that we, for us, the whole process of discipline when it had to happen was very careful, um, very affectionate, um, thoroughly explained, and never finished without heartfelt hugs and kisses um, between parent and child. Um, the, the process was not complete until healing happened. Um, and that took some time sometimes, but it was worth it. Okay, maybe I can add, uh, you know, I think Ted Tripp in Shepherding a Child's Heart does talk about, you know, par parenting as a gradual loss of control and authority. So over time, you as a parent, you you slowly relinquish your authority, but then hopefully you are gaining influence. So over time, as your authority decreases, you increase influence so that you've built up the reservoir of trust and love and respect so that you can actually speak into your child's life and they will actually want to, uh, you know, listen to counsel, listen to your advice, and you don't have to be using the rod. So over time, you know, they're, they're able to respond well. Um, well, let's, uh, let's see how many more other questions we can get here with the 10 minutes. How remaining. many more are there? Oh, there's a bunch. So we'll see. <laughs> um, here we go. All right, here we go. All right. Uh, question. When, what is a long enough amount of time to count as a delayed response? How do you know they're just sinfully delaying or just very focused on something else like reading a book? How would you, what was the process for you to discern that? Um, well, I think, again, part of that is I think the parent has to be observant before making the command or the, or the request. What is my child doing right now? Uh, I have to respect my child enough to not just bully my way into the, whatever he or she is doing and say, hey, drop that right now and do this. So the parent has to start by being aware of what the child is doing and frame the request or the command, if you will, uh, in light of that. So uh, if the parent is aware, okay, they're in the middle of a game, that's going to take them 10 more minutes, then uh, I'm going to give them a warning now so they know. Uh, so it starts with the parent being alert to the situation. Um, but I do think we all, most of us probably recognize when our children are, are they're, they're intentionally delaying um, and uh, where they're, they're, they're trying to get away with it. They're either making believe that they don't hear you or, uh, you know, what, you know, I think most of the time we can tell when it's an intentional delay. Um, and, uh, 
And so we just need to respond accordingly there. Sometimes it may be that we just have to say to the child, you know, look at me. This is what I said. This is what needs to happen. Do you hear me? And just make sure they're hearing you. And then, again, depending on their response to that, um, you have to decide what to do with it. So. Good. Um, next question would be, do you have any practical advice for teaching very young children the building block boundaries you mentioned, obedience, honesty, and respect? Yeah. Um, Part, part of it is uh, the, 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 the building blocks, the, the starting points for this, really, there, there's two things that um, scripture, I think, emphasizes when it comes to parenting. One is instruction, and the other is example. Um, so I think the best way to build into our children honesty, respect, you know, uh, prompt obedience or prompt response to others um, is, to, is to teach it. So, you know, God in his word says that uh, we are to honor one another. We are to respect each other. And this is, this is what respect looks like and what respect sounds like. Um, so teaching it, or God says that we are not to lie to each other. And, and, uh, so we, we, we want to be people who have integrity. We want to have honesty. Um, teach it and model it. Be an example of it. I, I think those two kids have, kids have a way. They, they have a way of reading us. They, they have a way of discerning the authentic from maybe the not so authentic. You know, they, they have a way of seeing and picking inconsistencies in us. So are we people who talk to one another as husband and wife with nothing but respect? Or do we talk to our children with nothing but respect? Are we modeling respect? Are we modeling integrity? Uh, it was a Psalm 15 that talks about a righteous man who swears even to his own hurt. In other words, he, he makes the promise and he keeps that promise even, even when it hurts him to keep that promise. Do our kids see that in us? That when we give our word, we keep it? That, that we're, or do they hear us lying over the phone? You know, uh, that, oh, no. You know, Tim's not here, right? Galen, you know, do they hear Galen saying on the phone, oh, Tim's not here right now when I'm sitting in the room? You know, uh, they, they hear the lies. They detect the lies. They, they know a lack of integrity when they see it, when they hear it. Um, instruction and example. Instruction and example is where it all has to start. And you can, you know, all, you can just Bible verses and stories and all the rest can be used to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, help our kids to absorb it, to take it in to their hearts, to their conscience.
Yeah, I guess what I could add is uh, I think just having regular family worship, you know, where you and your children are regularly reading and studying and going through the Bible together will provide a natural ground for you to teach and model those things. And I personally would, would say that probably once a week wouldn't be enough. You know, there needs to be a regularity to it. And then I think that will give you just a natural context to do the things that Tim just said, teaching and modeling it. Um, we've got a couple questions that have to deal with, uh, let's see if I can combine these uh, two classes of questions. One has to do with uh, teaching behavior modification versus teaching to the heart. Hmm. So, uh, you know, like, do you, obviously there's value in teaching children to say, I'm sorry, even though they may not mean it or teaching children to respect other people, even though they might not mean it in the heart. Could you speak into, you know, some of the tension between, you yeah. know, behavior modification versus teaching, you know, f towards heart change? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that question was asked. I had uh, some notes on it that I just jumped over just given time. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, behave, discipline that affects and alters behavior um, is necessary. It's good. And every parent does it. They may not spank, but they, if, if their child is prone to run out into the road, um, every child wants to modify, every parent wants to modify that behavior. Every parent will do whatever it takes to train that child to not run out into oncoming traffic. Um, there are any number of things that everybody agrees behavior modification is, is a basic, it's got to happen, but it's not enough. Um, our, our motivation as Christians is to do the right thing for the right reason. And the right reason is we love Christ. The right reason is that God in his infinite, amazing mercy and grace has chosen us and given his son for us and come into our life by the Holy Spirit to transform us. And, and he is in the business of making us new and, and preparing us for a destiny and a glory that's incredible. And this is all the grace of God. And, and we are functioning from approval and acceptance in Christ. That gospel, that good news is what we want our kids to embrace. Um, we want them, um, it was a Psalm 78 that talks about giving, our, giving the next generation, telling them, proclaiming to them uh, the, the wondrous deeds of God. We, we want our kids to, to hear and sense that it's way more than just behaving themselves. It's, we, we want them to see God and experience grace and, and know what it is to be forgiven and, and to love what is good. So not just, not just um, to uh, you know, adjust your behavior so you don't get punished for lying, but to actually love the truth, to delight in goodness and holiness, to never be happier 
than when we're doing the right thing because we love Jesus. Um, Alex mentioned uh, Ted Tripp's book, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. I think it's one of the best books that I know of to help um, get to the heart of children, um, to be gospel-saturated and heart-focused rather than just behavior-focused. Now, there are some who say, well, you know, if my, if my, um, if my child uh, doesn't really respect somebody, then I don't want them to act like they're respecting them. That's not real. Well, they should respect, they should act like they respect somebody and they should respect somebody. Um, we should train them to do the external, plead with them to do the internal. So they're not committing a double sin, <laughs> both in the heart and in their actions, being disrespectful to others. That's hard work. It's hard work. Um, the heart stuff is hard work. You got to keep, sometimes as parents, we can just get so frustrated with our kids. We just want them to behave. And, uh, and uh, the, the, the patient work of explaining why we want them to behave and explaining how Jesus wants to help them behave and how good and beautiful behaving is. Uh, that takes, that takes a lot of patience, but we can do it by God's grace. I don't know how helpful that answer was. Do we, Tim, there is one more. Uh, All right. One more and then we're done. Okay. Um, then I'm done. You guys can keep talking if you want. But Yeah, so the question is, uh, can you speak a little about how parenting changes in the teenage years when the child starts coming into their own and attitudes? Yeah, um, like, I, like I said before, we, we created in our home a kind of... Um, it wasn't hard and fast and rigid, but it was kind of a guideline for us where um, with our children, when our children were young, we, we expected them to obey as a matter of authority that, you know, we, they knew our love, we, we saturated them with affection and all of those things that I've talked about so much. But when it came to uh, the governance of the house when it came to decisions in the house. Uh, when our children were very young, it wasn't a collective decision. It was dad and mom's decision, and, and uh, the young children were expected just to obey without really even asking a whole lot of why questions. But we were very deliberate that when our kids, for us, and this can vary from child to child, in fact, with our youngest child, I think this happened earlier. Um, uh, but with our older five children, when they turned 13, uh, we, we had a very real um, talked about transition in our home. Uh, up to that point, basically, they were not really allowed to ask a lot of why questions or to disagree with us a whole lot. We were, we were the authority. But when it 
came when they turned 13, I, I sat down, I took each of the kids out and I sat down with them and I said, look, to mom and me right now, you are now a young man. You are now a young woman. And because of that, we believe you're going to start having some of your own ideas, some of your own thoughts, some of your own opinions, and that's okay. And you have permission to ask us why. You, ha you have permission to, um, to try to find out what our reasons are for things. You even have permission to disagree with us. Uh, but we have just um, two rules for it. One, um, you do it respectfully, and we'll try to be respectful to you. And two, you don't do it in front of your younger siblings. So if you're, if you're going to disagree, uh, ask to talk to us, and we'll, we'll go into another part of the house, and we'll sit down and talk about anything you want to talk about. There was this deliberate, outward, almost formal, it's almost like a rite of passage when, when our kids turned 13, where we just said, okay, from here on out, we're going to treat them like young adults. Um, and uh, give them more space to ask questions, to disagree, to interact with us as young adults rather than as just little children. Uh, so that was one expression of that. Um, and maybe there would be other things to add to that, but I hope that at least illustrates it. Are we done? That's all the questions. Uh, can I say this before Alex is going to close us in prayer? Thanks, everyone. I'm looking. It says 31 participants, and there's a lot of doubles here. So that's, that's, um, that's a good, good, good turnout for this meeting. Thank you for being a part of it. I hope, I hope it's helped. Um, and, and I would like to ask if you have questions, um, concerns, even things you may disagree with and just feel you need to talk about, Please let us know because I hope you get a sense that we're not uh, we're not dictating this is the way, uh, but we are trying to offer some help. Uh, but realize that what we're offering may raise questions as well. So don't hesitate to to ask. Uh, that'll help all of us. So, Alex, if you would please close us. Sure. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we hear this teaching, and we're both encouraged as well as discouraged encouraged that you have given us your word and your spirit and your truth to carry out this great task of parenting but also discouraged knowing that god we are so limited we're so weak lord we make so many mistakes so god help us to hold fast to christ and the hope of the gospel that when we do mess up god i pray that you would give us the humility uh, to confess uh, quickly to you, uh, to our kids, to our spouses, God, that we would be modeling the reality of the gospel that we want uh, to transfer into the hearts of our children. Lord, we need your help. Lord, we need your help because especially in times like these where we are just at home all the time, Lord, that we, we are so tempted to lose our patience, to get angry, uh, Lord, to be demanding, to want our own way. Uh, to demand results. Uh, so I pray, God, that you would give us uh, patience. Lord, fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, help us to be on the lookout for how 
uh, our kids are doing well and to be uh, encouraging, to be affectionate. Lord, I pray that our, uh, we would be uh, creating this culture where uh, there is encouragement and joy and laughter uh, and love that is freely given and that any discipline that has to be given because we know our children do need you and they're sinful, they need correction, any discipline that is given, God, that you would help us, God, to always do it out of love or that we would never discipline out of anger or inconvenience. And I pray, God, that you would, you would be working in the hearts of each of our children, Lord, that you would be causing them to be born again to a living hope, to cause them to trust Christ. And God, help us to be people of prayer, that we, we come before you with our weakness, with our shortfalls, with our inability, and with a desire, Lord, that you would be working in our hearts first and foremost so that our children see that, that mommy and daddy, we need Jesus more than anybody else. Lord, we need you. We need your help. We need your spirit. We need your grace. Uh, so God, we just cry out to you for your help, uh, for, for your forgiveness, for your encouragement, Lord, for a filling of your spirit. God, we, we're humbled by the, this great task. Lord, we're just aware that uh, our kids are going to grow up quickly and that the parenting stage will be over before we know it. So help us to seize each day, seize the moment, God, and to, and to take joy in each day of parenting you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless all of you. God be with you. And God bless your homes and your families. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor.